You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Heartbreak and disbelief on the Vegas Strip where a mass shooting, the deadliest in U.S. history, has claimed dozens of lives. And we're learning new details tonight. A total of 59 people are now confirmed dead, at least two Canadians among them, one of them from here in B.C., and more than 500 others are injured. Several firearms and even explosives were found at the home of the shooter, identified as 64-year-old Stephen Paddock, who took his own life as police moved in. The gunman opened fire on a crowd of about 22,000 people who were gathered for an outdoor country music festival on the Strip. Many unsure if it was fireworks until it became all too clear this was a life-or-death situation. Police tracked the gunman to the 32nd floor of the Mandalay Bay Hotel, actually across Las Vegas Boulevard, from where the concert was underway. The shooter targeting the crowd through smashed-out hotel windows. At least 16 guns and hundreds of rounds of ammunition were found in his hotel room. Vegas, obviously, a popular and quick getaway for British Columbians. And as we mentioned, there are a number of confirmed victims from the Lower Mainland, including at least one fatality. Jordan McElDoon often traveled to Vegas to celebrate his birthday. This year, just days away from his 24th birthday celebration. John Watt reports. As bullets rained down on the Route 91 Harvest Music Festival in Las Vegas, Jordan McElDoon was out celebrating just five days shy of his 24th birthday, a life filled with promise. He was uh, finishing his trade and six weeks for a heavy duty mechanic. And that's that it. He's a great boy. This video from last year showing McElDoon and his girlfriend at the same outdoor event. A ritual family says they were excited to repeat. Him and his girlfriend both had birthdays. He likes the country music and they go every year. The reality of the tragedy hitting social media. One of the concert attendees posting, I am with a young man who died in my arms. Rest in peace, Jordan McElDoon from British Columbia. I can't believe this just happened. The brother of McElDoon's girlfriend writing, I can't even make sense of things right now. Thank you, Jordan, for saving my sister's life. Flags at half-mast in Maple Ridge, where McElDoon lived and went to high school at Thomas Haney Secondary. We're all really saddened as a community at this uh, act of violence that's taken uh, somebody uh, who lives in our community. As the count of those killed and injured continues to rise, so too do the Canadian connections. Sheldon Mack, son of former Victoria News anchor Hudson Mack, suffering two gunshot wounds, a ruptured colon, and broken arm. So I've known the family very, very long time, and it's just a, it's just absolutely shocked to hear this, that a young kid going to a music festival, having some fun, ending up at ICU. Jessica Klimchuk, a mother of four from northern Alberta, also killed in the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history. Amidst the chaos, many being credited as heroes. Friends of Jordan McElDoon say there's no doubt his final actions proved he was just that. One saying he would have saved everybody if he could have. All right, John Hua joins us now from our newsroom. John, as details continue to come in, no doubt we're going to hear about more local victims. Yeah, that's right. Vegas is such a hot spot for Canadians. But this outdoor show alone attracted about 22,000 people. 
A good number likely country music fans from our side of the border. And with so many injured, there's a good chance we'll be learning about more Canadians being affected in the hours and days to come. Sophie? John Waugh reporting tonight. John, thank you. A strong desire to just come home is a feeling echoed by many we spoke to today. Those lucky enough to get out on a flight recounting their terrifying experience as they landed at YVR. And that's where our Grace Key is tonight. Grace, the first-hand accounts really are incredible. Yeah, you know, they're so harrowing. And as these people were getting off, arriving here, you can just still see it in their face, just so still shaken by what unfolded. We did speak with several people who did attend that concert. There's a girl, like, probably six feet behind us that was hit with a bullet, and we were all kind of down right in the same area. So, yeah. I mean, you could hear them ricocheting off the stage and stuff. It was crazy. Three best friends from Campbell River were near the stage at the Country Music Festival when the shooting unfolded. One bullet just grazing Kyle Welsh's arm. As I was running out, I got something hit me in the arm. I wasn't sure what it was, and something, a bullet must have bounced off the ground and just barely nicked my arm. I pulled bits of bullet out of me. I came back to our hotel. My knees were red with blood just from crawling around on the ground. Denise Hendry said luckily she was on her way to the porta potty area when the shooting occurred. And all of a sudden we heard pow, 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 pow. So we just ducked in and we hid. And there was a young guy from L.A. that hid in there with us. We stayed there until we stopped hearing the pow, 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 pow. It was just awful. Other people describe the mad rush to escape the venue. Jumped off the bleachers. Somebody knocked down a fence behind where they were to enable people to get out quicker. So us joined the crowd with, had to be at least 300, 400 other people running up the other way up Las Vegas Boulevard. People were like banging on the hoods of cars, like telling them there's a shooter, like, you know, this unit's not safe here. Saw people fall in and you knew they were hit. And it was, yeah, that was the craziest part, was the running for your life for... Everyone must have been running for a solid hour before they found some sort of shelter. Everyone here just thankful to be back home with loved ones. It feels nice. Really, really nice to be back. I've never been happier to be in Canada right now. Yeah. A lot of the people we spoke with said that they were just seeking shelter, running into the casinos, into the hotels. They were barricading themselves inside hotel rooms with strangers until uh, it was finally cleared to to go to their hotel. Uh, we heard from another individual who said, as they were all running out onto the strip, there was they saw a vehicle uh, accidentally hit a young woman as they were running. Uh, so just a, such a chaotic scene. But of course, everyone very thankful to finally be back home. Chris. Something they'll never forget, for sure. Okay, thanks, Grace. All right, we want to bring in our Paul Johnson, who is in Vegas for us tonight. Vegas, Paul, is usually a place for fun and partying, but I would guess a much more somber mood right uh, there right now. Well, you know, Sophie, it's strange. You know, this is Las Vegas, and the streets are still full of thousands of tourists out trying to have a good time. The casinos are still very busy with people gambling. But you look a little closer and you see one of those big billboards that would usually be advertising glitzy Vegas shows or advertising places where people can go to donate blood, phone numbers that people can call to try to connect with loved ones who may be missing. Take a look over my shoulder here just at the very southern edge of the famous Las Vegas Strip. You can see that's the edge of the police perimeter. About a half a kilometer beyond that is where most of the people were killed. Local media reporting tonight there still may be as many as three dozen bodies there still in place as they try to process this scene. The gunfire lasted for what seemed like an eternity. People didn't know what to do. 
didn't even know if it was gunfire. We heard what we thought were fireworks, and it looked like smoke from Mandalay Bay. Tens of thousands of people squeezed into an outdoor concert venue on the Las Vegas Strip for a country music festival, held captive long enough for a gunman to inflict unspeakable carnage. All of a sudden there was a, I thought fireworks, and then I saw a window come out and glass shatter everywhere. The shooter was holed up in a suite at the Mandalay Bay, smashed out two of the 32nd floor windows, and began to fire on the crowd below. Because yeah. there was like just shots going everywhere, yeah. and there were just dead people everywhere. It was horrible. Dozens are dead, and that number is likely to go up with more than 500 injured. One trauma center took in at least 100 victims. There was a, a gentleman that was shot, and he said, can you help me? And so I put him in my car, and I had like six people in my car, people without sh shoes, running just to get away. And Las Vegas police say the suspect is 64-year-old Stephen Paddock, that he had 16 rifles with him in his hotel suite. And by the time the SWAT team kicked his door in, he was already dead of an apparent self-inflicted gunshot wound. A search at his home in nearby Mesquite, Nevada, found another arsenal. An excess of 18 additional firearms, um, some explosives, and several thousand rounds of ammo. While ISIS has claimed responsibility for the atrocity, there is no link between the suspect and the terror group, according to the FBI. Paddock's family have no answers for the rampage. My brother just killed 50 plus people. And there's just nothing, we got nothing to give you. There's, there's just nothing, he was just a guy. It was an act of pure evil. President Trump has tweeted and spoken about the massacre as have politicians from all over the world. But in Las Vegas tonight, people are still trying to come to terms with the cold reality of the worst mass shooting in US history. And, Paul, in this situation, initially, people didn't even know what they were hearing. They didn't know how to react at all. You know, what we hear time and again from the people we've spoken with is they thought they were fireworks. They thought it was something connected to the show. Once they realized, no, somebody was shooting at them, a lot of people were shouting, get down, get down, not realizing that that may not have been the best thing to do, given that somebody was firing down on them from above. And, you know, can you blame them? If you look at the sad history of American mass shootings, very few of them have involved a sniper from above, and none of them somebody this heavily armed shooting at a crowd of 20,000 people. Sophie. All right, thanks for that. Paul Johnson in Las Vegas tonight. And, of course, Canada is not immune to violence. Five counts of attempted murder have been laid against a 30-year-old Somali refugee in connection with the terror attacks in Edmonton over the weekend. A police officer run over and stabbed, four pedestrians also mowed down, and a suspect known for extremist views. Gil Tucker has the latest on the investigation, and a warning, some of the images may be hard to watch. A car plowing into a policeman, directing traffic in an Edmonton Eskimo CFL game. A man then getting out and stabbing the officer several times. A rented truck later whips through crowded downtown streets, hitting four people, now charges. Five counts of attempted murder. 30-year-old Abdullahi Sharif may also face terrorism charges. Police found an ISIS flag in the car that hit the officer. 
The terrorism investigation is very complex and vast. The officer who was attacked, Constable Mike Chernick, is now out of hospital, recovering from stab wounds to his face and head. He was in a struggle for his life, holding on to his gun uh, with one hand and blocking the knife with his other. It is a testament to his experience and training that he survived the confrontation. Of the four people hit by the truck, two are still in hospital. Police using a tactical vehicle to stop the truck. But it was so loud, we can hear it right inside the hotel. Like It sounded like somebody literally hit the building. Abdullahi Sharif came to Canada as a refugee from Somalia, coming to police attention two years ago. A complaint was filed with the Edmonton Police Service around reports being made that the suspect was, was espousing extremist ideology. At the end of that exhaustive investigation, there was insufficient evidence to pursue terrorism charges. In the midst of the chaos, Saturday night, people doing what they could to help those hit by the truck. And I saw a man laying there unconscious and unresponsive, and we just stabilized his head and I just monitored his heart rate and respirations until the ambulance came. Hundreds attending a rally Sunday night in downtown Edmonton, coming together in the face of terror. We stand together. All faiths, all cultures, we will not be divided. Gil Tucker, Global News. These kinds of tragedies hard to comprehend for adults, even more so for children. And while it's not a topic any parent wants to discuss, experts say children may have questions that they need answered. How to approach the topic and what to say, coming up a little later on the news hour. Well, on a day that a mass shooting in Las Vegas dominates our news coverage, gun crime hits home in Burnaby. Officials discovered bullet holes in a secondary school. And this morning, evidence another school was shot up in Coquitlam. The search for whoever is responsible in just over a minute. It's one of the most recognizable landmarks along the seawall. But some people say Siwash Rock has a derogatory name. And it's time to change it. That's coming up later. Tough day for music lovers with news Tom Petty went to hospital in full cardiac arrest. His amazing career and lasting influence a little later on the news hour. But first, Burnaby High School was evacuated today after staff discovered bullet holes near the front entrance. It happened at Burn Creek Community School and as Tanya Beja reports, it's not the only Metro Vancouver school targeted by gunfire. A Coquitlam classroom, now a crime scene. Police investigate after a bullet shattered the window of Centennial Secondary School. Our first priority now, apart from the safety of staff and students, is to go and find who may be responsible for this damage. The building was closed when the shots were fired over the weekend and no students were injured. But the Coquitlam school was one of two pierced by gunfire. Burnaby's Burn Creek Secondary was evacuated this morning after staff found bullet holes in the front entrance. I don't feel safe when I'm at school now because, like, you know, you know that there's people with guns now and they can, like, shoot anytime. I'm scared to come to school. I don't really know what to say, but it's just, it's a really, it's a really sad situation that's going on for all of us right now. The shootings come less than a month after Coquitlam's Montgomery Middle School was targeted by vandals. The school suffered more than $10,000 in damage and two teenage boys were arrested. Investigators say the use of gunfire in the latest incidents is cause for concern. I think that's sort of a re- reflective of our society today uh, with the easy access to firearms that people have and uh, just the mentality. 
that that's the way they're going to get back at the school, if that was actually the intent. Police in Burnaby and Coquitlam are now reviewing surveillance video and working together to catch the culprits. No arrests have yet been made. Tanya Beja, Global News. Heroes jump into action. I grab my seatbelt, cutter, I go running down. People are freaking out. The roadside rescue that saved a family after a hit and run. And what a reception for Julie Payette, launching her into a new role as Governor General. Surrey RCMP are investigating a serious crash that left a Bellingham family of four upside down in a water-filled ditch. The female driver is sent to hospital with life-threatening injuries. As Jennifer Palmer reports, witnesses say it was caused by an irresponsible motorbike rider. Good Samaritans and emergency crews work to save a family of four whose Honda CRV ended upside down in a watery ditch. People are freaking out. They're saying there's kids in the car. The family is from Bellingham. Two teens, a 15-year-old girl and a 13-year-old boy, were pulled from the vehicle as well as a 49-year-old male passenger. And so I grab my seatbelt cutter, I go running down. There's two guys that are right in the water. And they're banging on the window and they're pulling, they're pulling, and they're trying to get the people out. All three passengers received minor injuries, but passers-by weren't able to get the driver, a 42-year-old woman, out. Unfortunately, the driver was trapped for a period of 10 minutes. Uh, She was revived at scene with CPR and was transported to hospital where she remains today and is still in critical condition. The crash happened Sunday afternoon around 1.30 near the 4800 block of King George Highway in Surrey. Witnesses say the southbound vehicle swerved and ended up in the ditch after a motorcycle allegedly cut it off. He was trying to cut people off, but trying to get to where he was going, and then he cut us off, and then next thing he know, he cut them off, and then that's, they lost control of their car and up in the ditch. The driver of the motorcycle didn't stop. Witnesses were able to get the plate number. Police tracked down the registered owner. We can't say with 100% certainty who the driver is. The registered owner was detained and released without charges. The quick actions of passersby helped this family survive. Now the hope is the female driver will pull through. Jennifer Palma, Global News. It appears that speed in a powerful luxury car, alcohol, and an inexperienced driver were a fatal combination in Langley early Sunday. Police say a 2008 Mercedes-Benz traveling at a high rate of speed right along 208th Street went airborne and hit the retaining wall in a culvert. Three passengers aged 15 to 20 years old all walked away with minor injuries, but the 17-year-old driver was killed. He was not wearing a seatbelt. He uh, is a resident of Langley, actually very near to the collision location. And uh, again, 17 years old, driving on a new driver's license and... uh, Contrary to his restrictions, both for alcohol and for his passengers in the vehicle, uh, and paid the ultimate price. The new face of Canadian politics. Has the door been open for the possibility of a visible minority becoming prime minister? I would say yes. How the new leader of the federal NDP is shaking things up. And the trial begins. Who could end up paying for the Lac Megantic rail disaster? Mesdames et Messieurs, la Gouverneure Générale du Canada, Her Excellency, the Right Honourable Julie Payette. Former astronaut Julie Payette officially sworn in today as Canada's 29th Governor General. 
The 53-year-old former astronaut was accompanied by her teenage son for the ceremony, her speech sounding a lot like advice for politicians on both sides of the House. I am convinced that anyone can accomplish anything and raise to the challenge as long as they are willing to work with others, to let go of the personal agenda to reach a higher goal, and to do what is right for the common good. And this is exactly what I hope that my mandate as a Governor General will reflect. Today's ceremony also paid tribute to Payette's predecessor, David Johnston, who served as Governor General for seven years. The trial has begun for three former railway employees charged in the 2013 Lac Megantic disaster in Quebec that killed 47 people. The train's driver, traffic controller and manager of train operations are all facing one count of criminal negligence causing death. The Crown opened its case by saying 47 people would still be alive but for their negligent actions and omissions. The lawyer for the train's driver says he only did what he was told to do and the tragedy was ultimately due to bad company policy. Jagmeet Singh hit the ground running today, one day after making Canadian history. The 38-year-old former criminal defense lawyer and new leader of the NDP is the first visible minority to lead a major federal party. As Sonia Deal reports, his victory has B.C.'s Sikh community in full celebration. 35,266. The moment history was made. The 38-year-old turban Sikh making victory look easy, becoming the first visible minority to become leader of a major federal party. Speaking to reporters on his first day on Parliament Hill today, for Jagmeet Singh, the big win is only just starting to sink in. I was a kid, and you told me that like in 30 years, I would get a call from the Prime Minister. I would have told you, like, I don't know what you're talking about. So it was pretty cool. A story that's about much more than the NDP in politics for young Sikhs in BC like Bupinda Handel. And you've seen a barrier being broken. And I think that plays a significant role in the hearts and the minds of people in, within the Sikh community and visible minorities in general. He's a good role model for the whole Sikh community. If he can do it, then I can do it as well. And feelings in a local Sikh temple in Surrey today, very much the same. We proud we watched last night. Very proud. We have to congratulate him. While there's no doubt that the Sikh community here in BC is celebrating this huge milestone, there are others who are saying if Jagmeet Singh has got a real chance of becoming Canada's next Prime Minister, people are going to have to get beyond his image. Faith is but a small part of one's life. And that's why I've been somewhat concerned that, that faith has become such a larger issue. When was the last time we talked about Trudeau's faith, Gretchen's faith, Harper's faith? Isn't it because it's so visible with him? So what? He's, he's more than his faith. Ask him. No doubt questions Jagmeet Singh will face in his fight to become Prime Minister. Sonia Diol, Global News. Leaders in the Spanish region of Catalonia have called for a general strike tomorrow in response to yesterday's violent crackdown of its independence referendum. Hundreds of people were injured when Spanish national police raided polling stations and fired rubber bullets into crowds of voters and demonstrators. Catalan officials say an overwhelming majority of voters supported independence from Spain, but the central government in Madrid has repeatedly condemned the referendum as illegal, unconstitutional and invalid. 
Shocking news from the music world today. Rock legend Tom Petty reportedly in grave condition in an L.A. hospital. The 66-year-old singer was found unconscious in full cardiac arrest at his home last night. He was rushed to UCLA Santa Monica Hospital. He was reportedly put on life support, but when no brain activity was found, life support was withdrawn. Petty just completed his latest tour, ending at the Hollywood Bowl last Monday night. Returning now to our top story, the deadliest shooting in U.S. history that sent country music fans scrambling for their lives in Las Vegas. Paul Johnson is in Vegas right now, and he joins us again. Paul, you had a chance to speak with three women from B.C. who were at that concert, all incredibly lucky. Yes, they were very lucky, and they sure know it. Uh, Lenora, Jackie, and Darcy, three British Columbian women who came to this country uh, music festival last year. They wanted to come back again because they had such a good time. Uh, Their story is horrifying. It's best told in their own words. Everybody said, get down. It's a shooter. Get down. So literally, we all just fell to the ground. And like the girls said, everybody was helping everyone, especially the men. They were completely trying to protect the women on the ground. My main concern was trying to get to these guys. Everywhere you looked, there was people lying on the ground. I don't know if they were hurt or not. Um, Cell phones, cowboy hats, just total chaos. People screaming and crying and running. And We pretty much ran the five miles, her and I, and I just kept saying to her, if you hear any more shooting, get under a car. Because we... You don't know if there's a hundred people or one person. We had no idea until we got here and turned the TV on that he was actually in the hotel on the 32nd floor. And the cops said, like, we passed the SWAT and they were just like, get out, just run, keep running and don't stop. You know, and their stories really underscore the total confusion that was going on here last night. You know, at first people didn't know what the noises were. They thought it was probably fireworks connected to the show. Then when they realized it was gunfire, most of them had no idea where it was coming from. Some probably made the mistake of getting down on the ground and not moving away as quickly as they could have. Then, as you heard with those women, once they started running away, they didn't know if there was more shooters. I can tell you the police probably didn't know if there were any more shooters at all. So there was this terrifying run practically all the way back to their hotel rooms. And you hear this time and again from the other people who survived this rampage. Chris, back to you. Good to hear good people stepped up when needed. And we'll talk more about that a little later. Paul, thanks very much from Las Vegas. Well, tonight's Health Matters report brings us back to our top story as well. And the weekend attack in Edmonton. And the growing dilemma for many parents on how to talk to their children about acts of violence born of terrorism or anything else. Neetu Garcha got some expert advice today. Tragedies like Sunday's mass shooting in the Las Vegas Strip leave many parents wondering what to tell their kids, if anything at all. It becomes so horrific and then you have to comprehend, oh, how do I explain this to my child? This clinical psychologist says how to talk to your kids about terrorist attacks or violence often depends on their age. For the younger ones, seven and under, Dr. Kathy Costigan suggests emphasizing safety and security rather than going into what's happened and why. In your responses, you can certainly acknowledge what's happened and that 
that it's scary and then people feel sad when these things happen, but that there's really trustworthy people in charge and that people are working very hard to make sure that everybody is safe. For the older ones, even preteens and teenagers, she suggests being more proactive. Well, maybe they can, you know, write get well cards to folks in the hospital or, you know, thank you cards to first responders or just think of ways that they can do something positive and proactive in the world. The worst mass shooting in modern U.S. history came within 24 hours of vehicle and stabbing attacks in Edmonton. And Dr. Costigan says when the horror is unfolding closer to home, a child's distress is likely to be higher. Whereas social media, according to this grade 8 teacher, can desensitize youth to the trauma. None of my students mentioned it today about Edmonton or about Las Vegas. And I think it's just sort of this noise that's all around them and it doesn't affect them as much as... It might have us when we were growing up. Bottom line, experts say, is not to shy away from the conversation, something even Elaine Ho, who works hard to minimize her kids' exposure, agrees with. We don't have to go through all the gory details, but we do have to give them an understanding of what's happening. Neetu Garcha, Global News. Tough but important conversations to have. You bet. A Vancouver landmark that some consider a slur. I want it to be Siwash Rock, not something else. Why there's a movement to rename Siwash Rock. And when the violence and chaos gets you down, proof the worst situations bring out the very best in people. The controversial proposal to rename one of Vancouver's most iconic natural landmarks and why some say it's necessary. Coming up right after the weather forecast. It is a stunning uh, place to be on a beautiful Mm -hmm. day like today. Yvonne Shell joins us now with a look at our forecast. We have more days like that on the horizon. Yeah, we're sort of easing into fall, especially with a day like today. We've seen plenty of sunshine and dry conditions. A bit of a blip in the forecast is over the weekend, but it's cleared out very nicely. We're just before sunset this evening, and it's stunning as we take a look at this shot overlooking English Bay. Temperatures today have been on the cool side, but we're currently sitting at 15 degrees with the northwesterly wind at 11 kilometers per hour. We started off at 8 this morning, 16 the high, average sits at 15, and a record on this day. 23 was set back in 1962. A few other numbers across the province with 16 as the high for Kamloops. The piece up to 8 degrees, most areas across the coast with 18 for Prince Rupert and Victoria today climbing up to 18 degrees. We've had some active weather and winter-like conditions with the winter storm warning and snowfall warning still in effect across the southern regions of Alberta. We have seen a special weather statement now ended for the southeastern corners for Elk Valley. The snow has tapered up. Higher elevations along the mountain passes could still see a few light flurries, but not much in terms of accumulating snowfall. Here's the big weather story that we're following across the province. This ridge of high pressure is building in, and as we put this into play, Tuesday, Wednesday still holding very strong. Thursday and then a change is on the way for our Friday with the return or chance of showers, but fantastic for the next three days. Northern half of the province tomorrow up to 16 across the coast. Inland for Smithers will be closer to 12 degrees. An increase in cloud cover, but still remaining dry for areas near Fort Nelson. Central interior tomorrow with highs of 11 and 12 degrees. And much of the southern half of the province, especially for the northeast, southeastern corners rather, a nice break as we look ahead towards tomorrow with a high of 10 degrees and around seasonal values for both.
both the Thompson and Okanagan, with Kelowna climbing up to 14. A warm one inland tomorrow, hope up to 20 degrees. Most spots across the island inland will be closer to 18 and 19 degrees. Nanaimo tomorrow up to 19 and Victoria up to 18 degrees. Fantastic looking forecast over the next three days. All the way in towards our Thursday, we'll hang on to that sunshine inland up to 21 degrees. It's Friday that we are looking at the chance of showers returning and a bit unsettled when we get in towards our Saturday. A couple of birthday announcements this evening going out to Bessie Lashin from Vancouver, rather, a belated 101 birthday to you. You celebrated that on Saturday and happy birthday this evening from Verna Brecky from Parksville celebrating 103. And tonight's weather window is sent in from Candace Hollingshed from Dawson Creek. Great shots of the breaks in the cloud. Guys. Positively heavenly. Thank you very much, including the forecast. All right, fresh off a proposal to ban balloons from Vancouver Parks, which was voted down, the Vancouver Park Board is taking on another controversial issue tonight. And that's possibly renaming a well-known landmark. Global's Catherine Urquhart is live in Vancouver with the details for us tonight. Catherine. Well, Chris and Sophie, Siwash Rock certainly is a Vancouver landmark. But one Vancouver Park Board commissioner believes that Siwash Rock, which is right here behind me, needs a name change. Catherine Evans says the word Siwash is derogatory to Indigenous people who once inhabited Stanley Park. Apparently, Siwash is derived from the French word sauvage or savage. What do locals think about a possible name change? Here's what they told us. This is my, my turning point when I come around the bend there on my bicycle. I know I'm three-quarters of the way around. And this is my focal point. This is my direction, so I would miss that. And I want it to be Siwash Rock, not something else. I think it's a beautiful rock, and whatever name it goes by, I think it'll be okay. It reminds me of Shakespeare. A rose by other name would be as sweet, so I'm pretty okay with it. Now, the issue will be discussed tonight at the Vancouver Park Board meeting. Now, if the motion to change the name passes, it will then move along to the Stanley Park Intergovernmental Working Group for further consideration. Chris, Sophie, back to you. All right, Catherine, thanks very much. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's just about education, mm. right? Funny, I actually didn't know it was called Siwash Rock until a few years <laughs> ago. Yeah, it, it is <laughs> like true. like the big rock on the seawall. E- even people in our newsroom <laughs> were surprised that that's, that's what it was named. Wasn't that... Golden light, beautiful. It looks stunning on Catherine. Yeah, it's nice out there. Just before sunset, a good spot to be at. Well done. Definitely. All right. Hello. Hello. So it's getting to be decision time for the Canucks. Two o'clock tomorrow, Vancouver, all the NHL teams. But the Canucks have to be down to 23 players to start the season. They have 24 right now. So who has got to go? When the roster's made, you'll know who's on the team. Okay, coach, you give Canuck Nation no choice but to speculate and debate. Who might stay and who might go coming up. Also ahead, keeping calm in a crisis. Those who step up when the going gets tough. Speculation is rampant about who's going to make the team. Will the kids make it? Will one of the kids be sent down? We'll know tomorrow at 2 o'clock, maybe even earlier than that. The Canucks have until 2 tomorrow to make their final roster decision to get rid of one more player, send them to Utica. The limit is 23 players only. The Canucks, as you saw before the break, This man is not tipping his hand. You have to read between the lines and guess. Uh, Well, we're down to 24, like you said, and we're no closer than we were before practice. Uh, We'll take the next 24 hours to make that decision. 
And that roster decision revolves around keeping two of three players because there simply isn't roster room for all three. On the surface, Jake Vertanen, Brock Besser, and Derek Archibald all deserve to start the year here in Vancouver. Besser and Vertanen finished the preseason 1-2 in team scoring, both potting four goals. But are the Canucks convinced those numbers and performances will translate into the regular season? Uh, sometimes people get caught up in goals and assists. Uh, I'm a big believer in a 200-foot game, and at this level, you know, there's little nuances in the game that a lot of people don't see, and those are the little areas that young guys have the hardest time picking up. And don't get me wrong, I'm happy with the way both players have played. I, I see a bright future in both of them, and you know, that's part of the discussion here over the next 24 hours. Green and the Canucks seem to have handcuffed themselves with the free agent signings of Thomas Vanek and Sam Gagne. Neither stood out in the preseason, but it's highly unlikely either one will be placed on waivers and sent to the minors to help crunch the roster numbers. So now it's a case of eeny, meeny, miny, mo with Vertan and Besser or Archibald. Uh, obviously they have one more cut to make, but come here after that cut uh, and I get to start out those guys when we make most of the opportunity. Uh, obviously I think we have some chemistry, so that'll uh, maybe let me relax a little bit more and play my game. I think it's more about winning games than me personally, but feel, felt personally felt pretty good out there. I felt like I did what I had to do, so yeah. You know, people get so caught up in where are we going to be opening night. Like this is a long season, it's a long process. Uh, young guys have, you know, hopefully long careers. And, you know, things change drastically from game to game. And, you know, we'll see where we end up on Saturday. Now, Canuck fans hope the preseason stats foretell the future of a Brock Besser and Jake Vertan. And they also hope that they have no bearing on how the Sedins will play this year because they didn't do much offensively in exhibition play. But preseason is not really an indication of how a veteran will play. It's not an indication of what line combinations you will see. For example, who will play alongside the Twins? That is an annual Vancouver question, like asking how you think the winter weather will be this year. I mean, we talked about this for 17 years now, and, and uh, sometimes uh, our alignment doesn't really make sense, but it works out, and, and sometimes you think it's a perfect fit, but it doesn't work out, so we'll see. Uh, I think we have a lot of different options on, 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 on any given line this, this year, so it's, uh, I think it gives uh, Travis a few... A few uh, he, he can jog the lines a bit, so that's good. Well, the Vancouver Canucks wonder what young Padawan should stay with the team. The Calgary Flames went and signed the NHL's version of Obi-Wan Kenobi. 45-year-old Yermir Yager signed a one-year, $1 million deal with the Flames today. Second highest scorer of all time in NHL history, but number one if you just count players with mullets. And he was drafted in 1990, the same year Keith Kachuk was drafted. And now Yager is going to play with Keith's kid, Matthew Kachuk. Um, I'm, it's crazy to think about. I mean, they probably played like World Juniors together and drafted the same year. It's and uh, my dad's been retired for however many years now. But um, you know, it's an exciting day for us um, to have a player like that come in. As much knowledge as he has, for me personally, like I'm gonna try to get as much as I can out of you know having him on the team. And he will, if he plays a full season, if he doesn't even play a full season, he will be the leading player as far as games played in NHL history this season. He could pass Gordie Howe. Okay, the uh, Seahawks went over the Colts 
came with injuries, including this one to rookie running back Chris Carson. Left leg, caught under a pile of tacklers, broke a bone, and also suffered a high ankle sprain. He's on injured reserve, meaning he can't play for at least eight weeks. But defensive lineman Cliff Averill hurt his neck in this game, and he could miss some time as well. The Chiefs. The home of the only unbeaten team left in the NFL, Kansas City Chiefs and Arrowhead taking on the Washington Redskins. Kirk Cousins looking for Terrell Pryor, senior. Oh, that's a nice catch. Keep your eye on the ball, kids. Good things happen. 10-0. Was it a push? Well, I don't have time to go to the replay official. <laughs> no, so no, we don't. We're just going to go with what they said. Thanks, Squire. All right. Thanks, Squire. Let's check in with Jay Durant for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you, Sophie. We'll be hearing from more B.C. residents who were in Las Vegas last night. This chilling video just sent to us from a local man who was at the festival. And a warning, some viewers may find this disturbing. The video capturing the confusion as people didn't know whether they should hide or flee. We'll continue to track the latest developments with the investigation. That's tonight at 11. So, All right. Thanks, Judy. Amazing stuff. Finding some good in all of that evil. Next. It's a sad reality that the Las Vegas massacre is just the latest in a long list of mass shootings in the U.S., but along with the death and the carnage come the heroes who rise to the occasion. NBC's Cynthia McFadden reports. It's become painfully common. It's happened again. A mass shooting at an American school in suburban Denver. What unfolded just a few steps from here last night is almost too much to bear. Our collective sense of security was shattered again today by terror. Another mass shooting in America. At 10.08 p.m. in Las Vegas, a grim new record is about to be set. The most deadly mass shooting ever. America itself has a grim distinction. With 5% of the world's population, it endures more than 30% of the mass shootings. The slaughter in Las Vegas now added to a tragic timeline. 50 years ago, 16 dead in Texas. 13 at Columbine. 32 die at Virginia Tech. At Sandy Hook Elementary, 26 dead. In Orlando, 49. But there is another list, too. Not of the massacres, but of the heroes. The people who helped. The Sandy Hook teacher, Caitlin Rogue DeBellis, who saved 15 students. And there's Dr. Joshua Corsa, a surgeon who worked 30 hours straight, caring for the Pulse nightclub wounded. He posted this photo of his shoes, stained with the blood of 54 innocents, a symbol of defiance. And in Oregon, 30-year-old Chris Mintz, a U.S. Army vet who was shot five times after directly confronting a heavily armed gunman who'd already killed nine people. It's too early to know all the names of those who helped others last night, but in the coming days and weeks, we will. And when we do, perhaps a new timeline is in order. A timeline of the heroes. Cynthia McFadden, NBC News. Something positive to come out of Absolutely. the tragedy. Um, and one of the heroes, Heather Goose, I think was her name, uh, the young woman who was a bartender at that festival last night and stayed with Jordan McElDoon mm-hmm. uh, as he died. And, and then continued to stay with him and message his family and... Mm-hmm. And give them updates on what's going on. 
More coverage will continue throughout the evening uh, here on Global BC. Uh, I'm not the only one happy to see a sunset on this day. Absolutely. And it is a beautiful one. Have a good night, everyone.